I've got a mic, I've got a computer, and I've got a very, very special guest. You know what time it is? You guessed it. It's time for another episode of That Other Interview Show. All right, folks, I have a very, very, very special podcast today for all of you. And forgive me for the cough drop in my mouth. I'm dealing with some allergies and sinuses, but that's podcasting for you. I have an incredibly special guest who I learned about a number of years ago, and I'm still kind of sitting here. It's, it's strange to me that like I, this is somebody I never thought I would get to talk to, but I have the Jeannie Jeffries joining me on the podcast today. Um, so Jeannie, uh, just take a moment, to introduce yourself and give us just a real brief rundown on, on who you are and what you've done. Who I am and what I've done. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I know that that's a lot to condense in a couple sentences. <laughs> you've done so much. Well, um, Jeannie Jeffries is kind of a fake name because, um, I was adopted and my, my last name was so long. I went into a, a job interview one time and they, I had to sign in. I was like, Jeannie Heinauer. It's like, oh. So I was like, Jeannie J, Jeannie Jeffers, Jeannie Johnson, Jeannie. Anyway, I, I just picked that Jeannie Jeffries and I liked it. So that my name stuck. This this square in the front of the picture, can we get that? Can I put got it and get rid of because I can't see you. You have a big square. I think you can I, you could probably move. Does it do you just hit okay on it? Is does it let you hit okay? Do I hit got it? I don't want to lose you. That perfect. Yeah, just hit got it on it. That that's perfect. There that's you exactly are. What you need. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm not very computer. Anyway, I'm just I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And um I was adopted and my brothers found me. And after 40 years we met and they moved me to do a consulting job at GM. And um I was a consultant and and then I ended up staying here because my son Aaron, he was in school. So after we were done after almost three years, it was like I couldn't just take him out of school, so we stayed here. So I'm here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I miss Pittsburgh a lot. A lot of my friends are still there. Monroe Mall is still there. You were and you were just there a few weeks back. Yeah, I was. That was How was that? It was busy. It was nice. I didn't get to say hi to too many people at all. Oh, really? You know, you 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 set up this table and you know you're busy and you know you have somebody watch your table while you go to the bathroom for a second or something, but. I didn't get to say hi to too many people, so I felt about, bad about that. And then we have animals here, so we had a time frame. You know, you, have, you can't stay too too long. You have to just get in there and set up and do your show and then leave real quick and come on. But the, the show was wonderful. You know, the um, just, I can't tell you really in, in a language, really, what George Romero did for all of us. I mean, it, it just... There's so many fans out there and so so much support and so much love. It's 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 really you can't come up with words. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was great. I loved it. And I love I love just even driving down the, the turnpike because oh I'm getting closer to my hometown. I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. You know? And um so going back to do a show in Pittsburgh. Especially with all the the crew, 
that still attend some of these things at, at certain times and then the cast and and I just loved it. I just loved it. <laughs> I can't I can't Why imagine. Are you there? It would have been nice. I could have met you in person. I, I would love to have gone. I couldn't. Um, I'm going to try to make it to one of those. It's, it's, it's weird. Like I, so I saw Dawn of the Dead 23 years ago for the first time. <laughs> and it became my favorite movie. So for 23 years, that has been my number one movie. I, I, and <laughs> it, it Nothing's ever replaced it. And it's been so strange for me uh, to get into filmmaking and to get into podcasting and then to suddenly start connecting with people from the film. Uh, it's just like I interviewed Scott Reiniger. I, I think I told you this. I, I got to interview Scott a couple months to. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you said it really well. It, it, was, it was so surreal. Like I've never wanted a time machine more in my life than to go back to my 13 year old self and tell, and tell him, like, tell that little boy, like, hey, you're going to interview the guy that plays Roger and you're going to interview Jeannie Jeffries one day. <laughs> like it's, it's just, it's just so surreal getting to do this, you know, and everybody's been so nice and, and so kind and it's been, and when you, you talk about, you know, the impact George has on people, you know, I never met George, but I'm sorry. You would have loved him. Well, you do anyway, but you would have loved him. The stuff I've read about him. It, I, I wish I could tell him I saw night for better or worse. I saw night living dead as a kid. and it changed my life. I, I fell in love with horror films after I saw that, particularly the zombie genre. And then in middle school, learning that there was another film in the series, Dawn of the Dead, and then Day of the Dead. And the journey I went on, like my company's called Dawn Journey Productions. What's it called? Uh, Dawn Journey Productions. Okay. okay. And I call it that because when I learned Dawn of the Dead existed, I was a 12-year-old boy and it was the, the mid-90s. So it trying to see that film back then was not going to be an easy feat. So I literally went on this journey. It took me about a year to get to see that movie. And it had such an impact on my life. I mean, I, I'm pursuing filmmaking today and I'm doing what I'm doing right now in part because the, the impact George had, had on my life and the impact that you and Tom and um, Scott and Ken and David and, and all of you, all of you are part of that film. It, 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 it gave me this passion for cinema. Um, so it's just really, I try not to be too much of a fan when I'm doing the podcast and stuff. But I really am a fan. I can't help it with y'all because I love that movie and I love all of y'all. And y'all have had such a big impact in my life. So it really means a lot for me to sit and talk to you today um, and, and, and to just hear your story. It's, well, it's just, it really is a privilege. It's, it's so interesting because I think all of us that were involved with that film, whether whatever capacity we were involved, I don't think anyone realized that Dawn was going to be so heartfelt to all you guys we have a lot of fans mm -hmm. it's unbelievable i mean there's people that watch it once a week <laughs> and then some of us that are in it say well we watch it once a week a year before we do a show or something you know but um it, it it's amazing how did it change your life you said night of living dead changed your life how did it change your life you know nobody's ever asked me that um it's those two films, I think the, the, the passion I have for movies today, the yeah. appreciation I have for movies, and now that I'm actually pursuing filmmaking, I, I owe in large part to just, I, it's, it's hard to explain. It's, it's, it was just, it's this yeah. deep-seated, when I saw that movie, I, I, was, so, it was, I was so shocked. Uh, I had never seen anything like that. I mean, you know, in, in, in the first 20 minutes, I mean, you see somebody's head explode. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I'm, 
but I knew, I, I knew at that moment, at walking away from that movie, I knew I had seen something. As as I looked back and thought about it, and and pondered what I had seen and processed all that stuff, it was. I knew I had seen something groundbreaking. That this this was something I think really redefined movies in the United States and what you could do. And and then and then as I and I'm the kind of person like when I when I love something, I learn everything I can about. So then that's where I started seeing the documentaries and reading about awesome. it. And yeah, um, I got you. Yeah. And and looking at what George accomplished with the budget he did, and then what he got, the fact he was able to get the even the NC-17 rating is incredible, because it it, it seems like up until that point, I, I would imagine most people that went to see a film that would have been that it, the camera would turn away. Your imagination did the work, you know. Like like if, if you, you know when you see a zombie going in to bite somebody, I, I I think most of the generations watching that film at the time. We're used to the camera turning away and your imagination did it for you. So right. to actually see somebody get a chunk ripped out of their shoulder, get a chunk ripped out of their arm, get ripped and open and, you know, get their head blown off. Like I, it's, it's, I knew I had seen something special and I don't know, I just fell in love with the movie and, and I, I fell in love with, with George's work and I fell in love with zombies and, and, and I actually really kind of fell in love with the 1970s because of that, um, th- that movie is so, um, and I know it was a commentary on the excess in our country. So I mean, there's, I know there's a societal commentary there as well, but I, it just, that, that movie bleeds the seventies, you know, and, and it, it know, just, it's kind of simply done compared to how you're doing things now. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's true. You probably have a bigger budget or uh, I don't know about that. Let's not even talk about budgets, but I mean, things back then were done so simply, you know, and that's, what's so beautiful about it. That that's what's so amazing. I, I agree mean, with you. Yeah, I I, I I would rather see practical effects over CG any day of the week. And and what what you and Tom and y'all's team pulled off in that movie is nothing short of incredible. I don't understand. I mean, to this day, there's there's a there's a scene where, um, and I really hope I get to talk to Tom one day because I want to ask him. Uh, there's a so Ken Ken is looking through a scope, and he shoots a zombie in the head. And the forehead caves in. And I don't know how he did that because it doesn't look like the guy's wearing an appliance. I have, I don't, I just have no idea how he got the, the forehead to cave in like that. Like the stuff you guys pulled off. I, I just, it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Yes. Y'all did an amazing job. It's like, how do you make a couple of or some secrets? <laughs> that's, that's true. When, when you, when y'all were, and I know we're just, we're just jumping right in here. I hope that's okay. No, 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 no fine. I, I need that. Cause you know what my last couple of days have been. So this is good. You just jump me away. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> when, when, when you guys were making that movie back then, did, was there, was there any, did you know that you were doing something special? I mean, could you have known, I guess? No, that's what I, I was alluding to a little while ago. I don't think any of us that were working on a crew or cast. Um, actors, you know, crew cast, everybody. Um, I don't think any of us realized because it was a project to work on. Because when I was done with that, I knew I had another project to work on. I mean, you just, you're just there and you do what you have to do and you work hard and you just love George and you listen and you do what you have to do. And then you go home and maybe don't sleep and you get ready for the next day. I don't really think, I know personally, I'll just talk for me. I, I, I'm, flabbergasted that it became such a that I have so many friends on Facebook that are friends with me because of George Romero and Dawn of the Dead and Night Riders as well. You know, um 
I'm so lucky. <laughs> I was looking um, and went through, I mean, I found this, um, I have some of these. This one, I'm on a cover of a movie. Thing. I have that. I have that. I mean, how many, how many people get to be on a <laughs> cover? <laughs> you know, and, and I've, I've done six movies, I think, so far. So I'm a nobody, really. When you talk to everybody else, um, Marty Schiff and, and all, everybody else, they've done 40, you know, well, okay, I've done like six, but, 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 but what, but what you did though, I, I would say it's more about the quality over the quantity. I mean, it's been, wow. okay, wow, that's nice. 42 years now. Is that, let me, let me check my math on that. Let's um, see. This is 282 and that was in 78, right? 1978. Yeah, you check and I'll have a glass of water here. <laughs> that oh, that can't be right. Hang on, twenty. It's been forty-four years. So forty-four years later, you were a part of something that is still impacting generations that didn't exist at that. Point. And it's still going on. It's still going on, and it's going to continue to. Like that you movie, said, I was just at a show, right? And there's still fans that came from. There were people there from Germany, people that spend thousands of dollars in their risking their life on airplanes and spending all this money just in hotel rooms and just to come and get and spend money on an autograph. It's still going on. Yeah. And, and, and that is going to outlive both of us. You know, that, that movie's legacy is going to go far beyond our lifetimes. Like that's, you know, that's, that's a movie that I think is one of those. Hear that George? (laughs) Brian wants you wherever you are. It's, it's, I mean, that, that's the kind of movie you show in film school to people. Right. Like, this is how you do it. No, no, no. It's totally okay. Like, it's like this, this is how you do it. This is how it's done. I mean, like that movie's going to outlive both of us. And so, I mean, to me, if that was the only movie you'd ever done, you couldn't have done anything better than that. I mean, like it, it's, that's the kind of project to be involved in. You guys did something absolutely incredible and it was a low budget movie. And, and like, and you look at that today and it doesn't seem that way. That was a low budget movie. And you speak of low budget. That brings me back to the um, the one scene in the middle of the night, middle, 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 middle of the night, where um, the motorcycle crew, I, I mean, whatever happened at the moment, but we broke one of those windows in the Minerva Mall in the bottom. And George was like, fuck, there goes the budget. And we had to clean it all up before eight o'clock in the morning. Open up. I don't know how they did that because Tom and I were, you know, busy on doing our other stuff, but I knew they, I, I remember George going, fuck, there goes the budget right now, you know, and he just kind of put his head down and went out to have a cigarette and figured out what they were going to do to fix it. I remember, it, it was, I remember. That that was when oh, the yeah. yeah that was when the biker game was coming in. I remember seeing that in one of the documentaries about the movie. The biker game was going to come in, and and wow. they had a small explosive, and the when the entire window just shattered. Well, and then and then the car, apparently that car got really messed up. The the little Volkswagen that they were driving around in the mall that y'all borrowed from a car dealership it got kind of messed up as well. I don't remember that, but um, apparently so there was there was the scene where they're going to lock all the doors, to lock all the entrances, and they're in a little and there was a there was apparently a Volkswagen was gotten from a dealership for the film and, and they made it look like it was one of those, you know, cars you could win and, you know, in a, in a, ra- a raffle kind of thing. Um, and so apparently just by the time production was over with that car was not in good shape and they had to go return it to like 
It just it looks like it must have been just an absolute blast to be a part like, of. Probably throwing bodies into it. And oh, oh yeah, yeah. And- <laughs> probably you know hit, hitting the pylons that you know the, yeah, the columns yeah. and yeah. stuff. Yeah, there's there's no telling what'll happen in that car. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean the, the legacy of that movie. I mean, like I'm I'm 36 years old. I wasn't alive at the time, but it, it deeply impacted my life. Imagine that you weren't alive at the time. Wow. What's but it's so cool. I, I'm see. I'm I'm in a small way getting to touch Incredible. the George Mirror universe now. We're you know? talking now. We are talking now. You're into uh, doing films and stuff. You love this movie. You weren't even a, born yet when we did this. And look at you now. We're interviewing. So I'm I'm in awe of you. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. That, no. I, I, that that wow. That means a lot. Um, well, how well, how incredible I, is that? We go on beyond that because you and I've talked on Facebook and we have other passions together, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, no, it, it, nice to meet you. Hi. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and then and then you go on to do Night Riders, which is a really incredible. I love that. I had a lot more responsibility. Um, I'll get into how I got involved with um, Dawn of the Dead because that was like something really cool, but. Yeah, I went on to Night Riders and I actually, I actually was director of makeup and I had three assistants uh, helping me. Well, really two. I had um, Augie's wife, Liz, and then Molly, who went on to do Romper Room after this. I basically had two, basically, let's just say I had two assistants that were like 100% right on. But I was director of makeup in that one. So I had a lot more responsibility. I was I was my own person on that one. Ed Harris didn't like me. Really? He sat down that day, the first day we started ready to get his scene on. And he sat down and he said, I don't wear makeup. I'm not going to do this. And I said, well, you got to, you need to give me a chance. I said, I'm, I'm not going to plaster you up with makeup makeup. I said, I promise you, I'll make you look like you just walked out and have a little bit of a tan. I said, I do natural stuff. This is going to be great. But he didn't get his way. And I knew he needed to have makeup. I mean, that was what George said. He needs a little bit of powder and a little bit. of. So he just was like, <clears throat> and every day, but I, I admired him because when he sat in my chair, he had like a t-shirt on and just nothing, you know, blue jeans or whatever. But when he left my makeup chair every morning in Night Riders, he formed, because I allowed him to, I kept my mouth shut. We didn't talk. I knew he didn't like me. And I just, you know, I do a little bit of a, when I do, I do a, like a little bit of a massage to get it all in and make it all natural. And I knew I made him feel good. He left my chair as king, the king. Because I could see him, how he changed. But he no, he never did like me because he didn't get it in his own way. But that's, that's, that's a shame, but it was neat. He, you know, and that was his second film. He went on to like do Apollo 13 and everything else and In the Abyss and all these other movies. But um, no, he, he and I never became, but still he didn't like me because I said, you have to sit in this chair and I'm going to do your makeup. <laughs> and I did and I made him look good. There's not one scene in there, blood or anything else that I did on him. You know, I did the thrashing and the blood on the shoulder and, and it's makeup every single day, every single day. And there's not one scene that I ever saw or photo even afterwards 
that look like he had makeup on. I just made him look natural and just healthy and have a little bit more of a tan. And, but he never liked me. <laughs> it's what it is. Yeah. But I loved, I loved working on that film. Oh man, Brother Blue. Everybody. I, I just, I loved, I loved having my um, more power and more creativity and, and um, working with George again. And I'll tell you, I think you had mentioned how everybody we've interviewed so far, and I studied and so George was kind and he was very, very nice. And he had a tendency to only hire kind, nice people as well. And and as a, as far as uh, the crew, um, if you did a nice job for George, you he hired you consistently for everything. I moved away, so I didn't get to work with him anymore. After Night Riders, I went on to move to Michigan because my brothers found me after 40 years. I was adopted. My, it was like, oh, I want to meet my brother. So I ended up moving here to Michigan. And everybody thought I was dead because I was gone. And George, uh, Joe Shelby one day contacted me. And he said, you're still alive? You were my best friend in Pittsburgh. You're still alive? He said, where now? F have you been? We thought you're dead. He said you left never, but I didn't know about Facebook back then. So anyway, that brought me back to Facebook. And I think I give that credit to Joe Shelby because he found me and he thought I was dead. <laughs> it was like, no, that's it. I'm still here. Okay, Facebook, this is cool, you know. Facebook but, has been an incredible. You know, I hear a lot of complaints about social media and I understand them. Me but- too, I do too. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm of the opinion that Facebook is what you make it. Uh, I I don't use it for politics. I don't use it for. Oh, uh, me neither, man. It's, don't it, talk to me about politics today. I don't. Yeah. I don't follow politics. I hate them. Yeah. It, it, to me, it's a place to stay in touch with my friends, and I also use it as a tool to network with people. You know, and yeah, it's been yeah. like I I can't begin to tell you when you showed up on my suggested people. I was like, how did that work? He found me somehow. How did we find out? We have animals even. I don't even know. We find each other somehow. So when I started, as I started doing filmmaking and and my project started gaining traction and I started doing podcasts and things like that, but I started getting a lot of friend requests and I started connecting with a lot of people in the film community. And I connected with, um, I ended up becoming friends with somebody that we had in common. And, and as, as that group grows, it starts to suggest people to you. And I saw oh, your name wow. show up and, and I thought, is that Jeannie Jeffries? And I looked, I'm like, that's Jeannie Jeffries. You know, so I was like, I'm, I'm just going to I didn't think you would accept my friend request, but I just added you anyway, just to see what would happen. And I and, probably accepted you because I, maybe we had 60 people in common or something. It was like, it's possible. It's and very possible. Have like David Crawford or, you know, all these. Other oh yeah. I've got Jim, I've got Jim and David and, um, oh goodness. I've got so many people. D- Tony, Tony Booba just accepted my friend request the other day or yesterday. In fact, he shut up as like, I was like, Oh, you know, like, I, it's, it's been so cool to connect with everybody from this film. It's something I never thought I would do. And it's, uh, it's, it's the one thing I really nerd out about, but, and then, and, you know, so just to the audience, you know, so that's, that's how Jeannie and I connected. And then I had, I think it was something to do with the Living Dead weekend. Um, oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had commented on something, and I just was like, "You should come do my podcast." And then we just got to talking, 
and, and have become friends. And, you know, we found out we have a mutual passion for animals and, and we actually, yeah. There, there's even you know just read and reading your book. You can go and back I, and find out, but you know, yeah, but yeah, all, that's probably what it was. Yeah. yeah, and 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 folks, for all of you out there who don't know, Jeannie's actually an author as well. Um, and I've I've been reading uh one of the books she sent me, and 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 even even your your background, uh, really really resonates. This is the second one that you don't have. You you have this one. I brought these out just to like uh huh. This is the one I sent you. And um, this is the second one. And the third one has the, the artwork on it. I just, I just haven't had the, I don't know. I, sometimes I think I lose it and not know how to write it again. Because I think my third one will be the best one ever. All the artwork is done. All the illustrations, Brian, are done. And I pretty much wrote it. I, I can tell you the whole story. And it's like, I just have to write it and get it done. Um, I published the second one. I, I, I self did the first one mm -hmm. and, um, boy, that was expensive because all the colored, the one I gave you, it, I, it sells for $30. And I think each copy is like either two cents less or two cents more because of all the color photos. So that was a huge money investment, Yeah, you know, which, but I mean, it got the, the word out there. It told, it has my bio in it. It's like why I am the way I am, you know, because of the bad upbringing, you know, being adopted by parents that cared less about me and um, why I am the way I am about animals. But then that second one, um, there was a guy on Facebook that it got Burning Ball Publishing, did, excuse me, it did the second one. And that was uh, Gary... Gary Lee Vincent, he owns that uh, burning bulb that did the second one. And he'll do my third one. He said he would do the third one. But we don't make any money on this at all. It's just it's just a passion because um, of that first book that you read. I found a passion with a certain animal. And it was like, oh, man, I'm, I don't want to die before I try to change a law because the laws are so cruel right now. But let, we'll go back into that. But. Well, actually, let's let's um, let's 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 transition to that. Let, let's let's kind of start from the beginning, because um, I want people to know who you are. You know, we we know about your movies, and we're going to talk more about it. But I want people to know who who is Jeannie Jeffers. So let's start from the beginning. I know, I was really tall growing up. I think when I was in sixth grade, I was taller than all my teachers, so I was just really tall. And then um, one day, I just started slumping all the time, and. Um, I went to a chiropractor and he said, your hip is really out of place. So we, my mom and dad said, you need to go to a modeling school to learn how to stand erect and chest out, shoulders back. And that's, that turned into, I went to Barbara's on school modeling when I was pretty young. And um, it turned into me modeling and doing all these jobs. And um I did radio stuff like crazy because they never picked up the Pittsburgh accent. And I don't know why, but everybody in Pittsburgh, we all swear. No, I picked that up. <laughs> I am a swear from day one, but everybody has a real Pittsburgh accent from Pittsburgh. And for some reason, born and raised, I never picked it up. So they hired me for TV commercials and, and uh, radio spots all the time. So I, I was really, really, really busy. One time, let me tell you how I got into Donna and Dead. Sure. You want to know how I got yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. 
I was, um, I got picked to be the uh, Iron City Beer Girl. And I did all these jobs for Iron City Beer. And then I became the Iron, they, they came up with this new beer. It was called Robin Hood Premium. I dressed up in this little Robin Hood skinny little thing. I wish I could still wear that. Robin Hood Cream Ale Girl. And um, I was at this one bar. I think that was Edgewood. I don't know the Edgewood or... Anyway, um, this radio station was right down the street. W, uh, WTAE Channel 4, I think it was. Um, they had WTAE TV, and then they had the radio FM and AM, and they had just had opened up an FM radio. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but anyway, there were these three men at this table, and when I walked over to them, this one man, who I found out later owned the FM AM radio station, he said, I've been watching you. He said, you are really professional. You're very you're very good. Would you like to do something for us? We have a, a promotion going on. Would you, would you consider coming in next week for uh, an audition? And I was like, yeah, sure. I think his name was Len Swanson, but I, I could be confusing it with Chili Billy right now, but any, you know, on WIIC, but because you know my mind is not right now <laughs> with what's going on. But um, anyway, I said, Monday would work. So I went and I auditioned. And what it was is it was um, WTA television and WTA AM radio and WTA FM. They were starting this Kicks KIX FM radio station. And they were looking for a Kicks call girl to go out in the streets and give $100 bills away. And I auditioned and man, I got it. And I loved it. I worked for a year. So I started like right away and I was a kick's call girl, but nobody ever knew who I was because they go out on the street and just say, what's your favorite radio station? And you say, oh, you just won a hundred dollars. It was so cool. So come October, we, we were doing a um, Halloween thing and um, I was to be there and for the best Halloween costume, I was to pick it and to give away a hundred dollar bill. So here we go. I'm at the 96KX, this kicks party Halloween thing. And um, there was this unbelievable Darth Vader there. Big call. Anyway, it, hands down, I picked Darth Vader. And I went out and said, hi, I'm Jeannie Jeffries, the kids call girl. And um, you win $100. And then he took off. It was Tom Savini. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, I didn't know who in the heck Tom Savini was. So anyway, he got the, but I was kind of taken back because I was a tall blonde. I always, I never dated an Italian. I always thought, I was always kind of attracted to like the, Anyway, and he's taller than me. Of course, when he took off his shoes, it was, it was like shorter than me. But anyway, um, after we started talking, he got his money and the interviews were done and we're still talking. He said that he had already started working on um, this movie with George Merrill. And I really didn't know who George Merrill was at that time either. Never heard of Tom Savini in my life. Um, so Tom hired me on the spot after I picked him and gave him $100. 
And the next day or so, okay, he took me over to the set and said, George, this is Jeannie. I just hired her. George said, oh, great. Hi, Jeannie. And, he, and I started working. So I missed about the first week and a half of Dawn of the Dead. But I started working, and then I worked every single day after. My first day was with uh, Jim Crutt, the helicopter scene. That was my first day. I helped with pumping makeup, uh, blood. With Jim Crutt, I went underneath and pumped a little. It was like no big deal. I don't even think Jim knew I was there. I was just pumped a little bit, learned. But I did do the kids' makeup, you know, which were Tom's relatives, his, his nephews and nieces. But I mean, that was my first day, so I missed a little bit of that movie. But um, and then after that, I worked every single day. But it was because I was on a project as a kicks call girl in a bar, dressed as a Robin Hood female impressed somebody that was the CEO manager of a radio station that was looking for somebody to help. And I fit the bill and it's like, that's how you do. So when I was working on Dawn of the Dead, I never realized it was, for me, it was a project and I knew I had another project because John Russo said, can you do um, a part for me in um, Midnight 2? in Death of a Videotape Minute, he said, I have a little part for you. So I always had like parts and parts and projects and projects and projects, but I was busy all the time, Brian. I was always busy either because I didn't have a Pittsburgh accent and I could do radio spots or I was tall and thin and I could do, and I, I was photogenic and I could do TV commercials. But and I don't know. But you also... It doesn't surprise me that happened to you because there's a story in your book uh, where you talk about your experience with the elephant at that temple. Malini. You you know how to network and talk to people. You're you're a go-getter. That's I have to say, I, yeah, I do. I think that's the bigger part of this. I, I think all that other stuff is secondary. You know how to talk to people and connect with people. So like that's because that, that story right there. I mean, like so. She so you you went to a Hare Krishna temple. I'll just tell the story real quick if that's okay. Actually, you know, no, you tell the story. You want to tell oh, that story? You tell it. I want to hear you tell it. Come okay. On. Um. So she. So you you meet some people. You go to Hare Krishna temple, and there's a there's an elephant there, and you have your son Aaron with you, and he gets to sit on the elephant, and and you get to interact with it, and, there, and you put a really cool newspaper clip in there. And this was 1989, from what it looks like, uh, when that happened. Um. And yeah, then you're right. You had gone to. Downtown Pittsburgh to get a check. Yes, you're going money. to get a check. And there were two yeah. gentlemen talking, and you heard them talking about needing an elephant for an yes. ad. And yes. so this is the really cool part of this story. You walk into the room, yes. and <laughs> you literally walk into the room and tell these guys, like, hey, if you let me direct, write, produce, like, run this cast, cast yeah, run this entire it. commercial, I'll get you an elephant, I'll take care of everything. And they, and they let you do it. Oh God, love you for knowing that. I could but that, but that's that's what I'm talking about. That's why you've done all the stuff you've done because you do that. <laughs> oh. All the other stuff is secondary. You do that. That's that's I want awesome. Copy it. I want a copy of this. This is like when I die. I want this to be in my funeral. <laughs> what you're just saying. Thank you, because that's what it was. I did. I I just overheard them and I walked in and I went. That's an awesome. That's how you do it right there. <laughs> That is an amazing every story. aspect of that commercial. I ended up doing every aspect of that commercial. And what was funny is like it was just a week before that 
it was a couple several weeks before I used to shop in this um I was a vegan I was a vegetarian then I became a vegan I used to go in this shop all the time and I was shopping for some stuff and this girl came over and she said I know I don't know your name but I see you here all the time you need to help me can you help me I said with what she said my husband's brother just died we need to go to California for the funeral I have no one here in Pittsburgh. We were in Shadyside to run the store. I said, okay. Because I freelance as a model and actress and stuff. Okay. And she taught me. She gave me the keys. She told me about the stuff that was in the freezer and how I had to refrigerate the bread. She knew that she was having all these medicine vitamins coming in, how I had to mark them. I learned. It was like, oh, my God. Shit. Are you serious? Okay, I'll do it. And I did it. And I ended up working in that store for a couple of weeks. Where am I getting to? I'm losing my train of thought because I just went back to that was incredibly difficult. But where well, am that's, I, I, I know where you're going with this. That, and that's, <laughs> I'd forgotten that that's how you connect with the elephant. Just do that. Do yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Because yes. the, guy, the guy that ran the, um, thank you. Because I was like, where am I going with this? The guy that ran the uh, salads and stuff, we became friends because he came in every day. And he's the one that worked at, he lived at a Hare Krishna place, had Malini the elephant. And he and I connected. And that's how all this, I don't know. It's always like you're at the right place at the right time. Things are mysterious ways, I'll tell you. But yeah. that's how I got Malini because I helped this girl out running her her health food store. And what are the odds of that happening? Yeah. Like, I, like, like they they really don't know you from Adam, and they're just like, "Hey, can you run our store for us?" And you do it for two weeks. To the safe, she gave me. The, she didn't even know my name, Brian. She only knew that I was in there quite often. There was something that she saw that I didn't. And she needed help that day because her husband's brother and she was in an emergency situation. They had a fly and I happened to be there and she just, and I was like, okay, but it was a lot to learn. And it was really neat for me to know that I could handle that. But yeah, it was how I met, um, Am his name was Amberish. The name was Amberish. What a weird name, huh? But I loved him. And he, we we connected like you and I. If you had met me and we talked together in person for five days a week, you you can see how he, Amberish and I connected. So when she gave me all this power and all this responsibility, and Amberish was in there. And then I found out, you know, and then they had a temple elephant. And he invited my son and I to, because I was single, and um, my son Aaron and I to go um, to the chapel to one Sunday. And I saw this elephant come down and she bowed and she did it on her own. It was like, she was a young elephant. It was like, Aaron got to sit on her. I mean, you know, Aaron's like this big. And it was like, it was just incredible. And then when I went downtown Pittsburgh the following week, and because they owed me money and I walked in and I could hear them. And it was this furniture company that their idea they've been trying to work out for several years, as you read, they wanted an elephant to sit on this lazy boy recliner. 
but they can't find one and blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting out there and it's like, I got to bust into this. I got to just bust into this. And that's and everything you said after that. Yeah. It just happened. That, I love that story. <laughs> I really love that story. But that's that. But see, that's why you, you've done what you've done, because you have that kind of go getter spirit. One of the things that I found really fascinating about you there, I saw a picture several weeks back of you barefooted in the woods reading a book. And there was something about that picture that made me think like you were very much kind of like a nature person. Like you it, it just, it, there was something about your aura in that photo that it's I like. What photo that is. I, maybe it's something I don't even know. that. I don't, it might've been on, yeah. It might've <laughs> been on Facebook or it might've been in the book. I can't remember where I saw it, but it was, but then I started, when I started reading about your background, you give a little bit of your bio in your book. I was like, okay, it makes total sense. Because you talk about in your, your childhood, and it's really broke my heart. Um, I actually almost sent you a message when I read this, just to, like it broke my heart. Um, how you went out into the woods <laughs> to make friends. And um, one of my favorite stories in the book so far is actually the uh, the story with the bumblebee. Um, can, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I share something about bumblebees with you? Yes. Um, I, I, I love bumblebees. So I'm I'm just just being, you know, person to person, I, I'm a Christian man. And there's, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible where it talks about God taking care of people. And, and he, and it uses, it references nature and how God takes care of the animals and the, the flowers of the field. And, and uh, that, that's been a big thing that I've read many times this past year. But one of the things I like to do sometimes is just go out into my front yard and I, and I watch the bees and there's, and you see these carpenter bees, these bumblebees flying around, landing on these flowers. And I've always felt like they're this really marvelous example of what the Bible is saying in that particular passage that like, they're just out being bumblebees, you know, and gathering pollen and going off doing their thing. So, but um, I, I love, I love that story of the bumblebee where you're out there hanging up the laundry and it just actually, comes and, like gets in your face. And she, she. <laughs> she, she, she made friends with me. It was so freaky because at first I was scared. I didn't know if they could sing or not. You know, I was like, oh, she was like right up here. And it got to that point, like I said in the book, where she landed on my finger and I was like, oh my God, this is scary. And I petted her and I saw her little bottom open up and she kissed. <laughs> little, just a little tinkle. I was like, oh my God. Okay. We're friends now. <laughs> Then she flew off, but yeah, I came back out to hang some more stuff out for my, my friend, and I called her. I don't know why. I just had that kiss, kiss, kiss. I named her Kiss. I don't know. I did kiss, kiss. She friggin' flew back. I put my hand out, and she came back out, and I kept it. And now I was no longer afraid of her, and she was no longer afraid of me. This is a beat, but my dragonfly story, I think, is the main I was just about, I was just about to mention that one, too. That is incredible. That story i still am amazed by that because seriously i was just i just had moved here and it was it's a place it's a it's a community apartment complex called ramblewood in michigan but i had just moved from um, pittsburgh to here to work on that gm thing with my new brothers and um but i was sitting out there and i had my speed and this this dragonfly came down should i say it the whole yeah yeah absolutely yeah, and, and this dragonfly came down right next on the on the ledge there, and I was like, "Oh hi, hi!" And they put a little drop of my iced tea up there, and <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that was cool." And then I thought it was a she; she flew off. It wasn't. 
because then she, she came back with a lower one. I was like, oh, you're the boy. So I put another couple of drops, and they were very shy, but they would drink my iced tea. I have a cat ready to jump up. But um, I was like, so cold. But that very next day, I remember Aaron was sitting in the living room on the computer, and I walked in from the kitchen, and um, here comes the cat. I knew what was happening. And um, this dragonfly kept driving into the, the slider. I had the, the glass open, and it was just a screen. And this dragonfly just kept beating, beating and beating. It's like, what the hell? This is crazy. So I opened it up and the dragonfly kind of flew over to me and it landed over on this ledge where I had this stupid ass, it was October and I had this Halloween stuff up, the netting. That's why I, I decided, well, okay, I'm going to go on a ban on again. So that, do it inside your house, but not outside. Um, it came to me and seriously, that little friend of his, her, was stuck. Like, oh my God. So it's like, okay, okay, okay. So I came in and I found little teeny wee, not big scissors, but I had little teeny wee, like little teeny weeny wee scissors. And I went out and I started chopping her wings away and I got them all loose. And I got one of her feet chopped away and I didn't get her second foot chopped away, but she flew away before that. But then, Brian, seriously, that dragonfly. Knew me from giving them iced tea. And the next day, his friend got stuck in my webbing and he came to me for help. There's a brain there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they even have brains, but there was something <laughs> I never said. Do dragonflies have brains? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, there was you... an instinct there for it to come to me for help and yeah. I helped it. I'll never forget that. Yeah, that's an incredible story. I, it's I mean, so true, I mean, true. It's so true. I mean, I'll never forget it. Just like the raccoon thing I just did the other yesterday. There's things that happen that if you're not sensitive, and I don't know why all all of us aren't sensitive. We're so many of us human beings are so cruel. But that dragonfly story, the bumblebee that came over and made friends with me. I don't know what the story was, but remember the the end of the bumblebee story going back. When um, the movers came to tear down his, I said, hey, I have a bumblebee friend. Don't hurt it, please. And they're going, okay. <laughs> okay, lady. <laughs> I knew I saw them going, blowing their eyes. But it was true to me. And it was a true story. That bumblebee did, for whatever and the hell reason, come over and say hi. I don't even know what that was all about. Because there was never... She, it didn't seem like it. she needed help or anything, but she just came over to say hi, and she allowed me to pet her, and she kept, she came when I called her, and I could pet her, and I was like, I don't know what that was about. That was nothing, really. It was just an interesting learning experience for me, but yeah. the dragonfly thing was a real experience for, there was something big time there. It yeah. needed me for help. I don't even know thank how God, you explain that. Thank God I'm as sensitive because somebody else would have said, get away, get away. Fucking dragonfly, get away. Heard it, maybe. Yeah. I was sensitive enough to just check it out. And then I put two and two together. I was like, 
my God, you came to me for help. I will help in any way I can. You know? Yeah, it's and that's just one of those things that defies explanation, almost defies science. I but but at the same time, you know, I, I I've as I've done my podcast and I've gotten to talk to, to people, um, there have been times I've I've associated this person with a certain thing and that they're actually total opposite. You know, for example, like Alan Troutman, I interviewed him. He, you know, he's kind of known for like being tar man and return of the living dead. And he, and, and so you kind of think, okay, Alan Troutman horror guy. It's like, no, he's not, he's not a horror guy at all. Like he's, he's a theater guy. He's, he's actually a puppeteer. Who are you like talking he, about? It's a guy named Alan Troutman. Um, he, uh, he, did, did you ever see return of the living dead? Do you, do you remember that one back in the eighties? Return of the living dead? Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a real famous zombie in that movie called Tar Man, and it's it's really great performance he does. He's you know very lanky and he just it's 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 a very it's a really good performance. And so the the man that played Tar Man's got him Alan Troutman. And when I interviewed him, I, I had a feeling that Alan I don't know I, I don't know if his intuition or something, but there was a and actually it was my first episode I ever co-hosted with somebody and and I and I told Angel I said we had a question about fast versus slow zombies. We we're going to get his opinion. And I said, Oh yeah. Okay. There, I said, there's a chance that he's not a horror guy. And if that's the case, we're just going to glance over this topic. We're not even going to, to go into it. And lo and behold, he's not a horror guy. He's, he's a theater guy. And puppeteering is a big thing for him. He spent the majority of his life doing like stuff with the Muppets. Um, it's like, you know, so for you, as I've gotten to hear your story and learn about you, like to me, what overshadows your entire career is your love for animals and nature and your animal, your, uh, you're, you're an animal activist an animal rights activist. And, you know, I, I would say like, that's, if you, if I was going to associate Jeannie Jeffries with something, that's it. Like you, you're, you're an animal person because I mean, you look at your childhood, you, you. She you go know, on my tombstone. You make sure. Okay. And I'll make a note right now. <laughs> uh, something about animals loved her she sure loved her animals or something something about that i don't know we'll figure it out but yeah no it's when i when i was about three or four years old at the most i remember a snake came on our property back in penn hills pennsylvania near pittsburgh you know it was penn hills and i remember seeing this snake and it had a big gash in it i was like oh man these poor things and I picked it up and I went in. My mom used to sew stuff. She used to sew my clothes, which were so ugly. God, I dressed so badly. But thanks to her. Anyway, I grabbed her needle and thread and I sewed it up. And the snake actually bared that pain. going. And um, I saw that snake the following year. And I knew it was the same snake because it had this scar. It lived. And um, somewhere I've got hard copies because I saw her and she actually had babies and I have a picture of her with this. But I think I started really caring for things at a very young age and I'm still doing it now. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're this, this little girl in a situation where you've been adopted by parents who unfortunately didn't really love you the way they should have. I don't know why they adopted me. I think it was to save their marriage. Like I said in the book, it's like, I never got a kiss. From my mother or a hug my whole life until my son was born and I had him when I was 30 years old. First time I ever had a hug or uh, I don't even think I got a kiss, but I got a hug from my mom. She was really happy that my son was born, but yeah, my dad, he was a prisoner of war. He was brought up in an orphanage, so he had all these issues. 
I'm glad they adopted me because it brought me to where I am now. It all, I can, I can bitch and complain and cry and go, shit, why the hell me? But because of all that, I'm sitting here talking to you and we've got all this wonderful stuff going on. Yeah. It's amazing how life works out that way. Yeah. It's, it's just so incredible, though, that in the midst of that, you found a way. It's it, the the human instinct to survive and the unique uh, routes that it'll, it'll take is is fascinating. So, like you, you just went out to nature and befriended nature. You know, you, you had you were friends with bugs and animals, and and it's just followed you. And, and I needed friends, Brian. Yeah. I needed something that wouldn't beat me. I needed something to just like me. It was really bad. I mean, I'd go home and my mom was for no reason at all. And it's like, I found myself out in the woods more and more and more because I turned over a rock, a rock and I find like a little bug. And it was like, it came right on my hand. I could pet it. It was like, okay, you're not going to hurt me. Okay, fine. You're going to be my friend for a little while. I just turned to nature because nothing in nature hurt me. Everything was unconditionally friendly. You know, and I didn't find that with my mother and father. I didn't. I really, I didn't. And they're both dead, and I, I really feel bad. I, you know, whoever sees this and is still alive in Pittsburgh, that's family. I, I'm sorry, I don't miss them. They weren't nice to me. They never really loved me like love, because I know love. I brought up my son different. I loved him with such a passion. I, re I really loved him. And, um, yeah, the animals that I have now. I became a, um, a sub. I'm a rehabber now. But to be legal, I have to be under somebody else. So I work for Soulshine. It's called Soulshine. And um, Soulshine. And I'm their sub. And I'm legal now because as long as I have their permission to do something. But when I found that raccoon the other night, I didn't even bother to tell her. I just took it because I knew she'd say, it's okay. And then she put it under the paperwork. But the raccoon didn't live more than the next morning. It was yeah. so bad. Yeah, I've been I've been following it on Facebook. It's been and, and we could talk about oh. that right now if you want to. It's it's yeah, that was just so bad. And again, I did one rescue last year with Arrow because somebody shot from a close distance, shot a raccoon with an arrow. So you have to go back on my Facebook and anybody else that's watching this, go back on my Facebook timeline. Somebody shot an arrow all the way through this raccoon. And um, there's, this, there's this restaurant in way, you know, many miles, quite six miles away is a, is a horse bar. And this girl knew me from this horse bar and said, Jeannie, oh my God, there's a raccoon out back. It has an, a rac, uh, uh, an arrow this far out this way and an arrow that far out that way. It's in the backyard. It's like, I'll be right there in 20 minutes. And Jimmy and I did. We went over and I was able to rescue Arrow. And that was tough because when he saw us, he scared to death and he went into there's a um, an old car place next to it. Arrow, I named him, went into this car. Oh my God. And he was in the backseat of this old, rusty, decrepit, million year old car. And then when I'm trying to say hi, he wanted to get under the seat. Meanwhile, he has an arrow sticking out this far and this far all the way through him. It's like, I know what a splinter feels like. It's like, oh my God. And then 
I had my gloves on, but Ryan, I had to reach down. I had a hip replacement, and I'm older. He's at least 45 friggin' pounds, and I had to reach down and try to pick him up and not hurt him. I remember saying, God, help me. You've got to help me because I almost gave up. I almost, I can't lift this. I was like, and then I it was like, I can't not do this. He needs me. And I was able to do it. And that's how I found my boss, Goldshine, because that was the only number I had of a rehabber that could help me with that. Uh, uh, it's illegal to have a uh, raccoon in Michigan. Most, most days, actually. But I was able to get a hold of um, Amber that owns Goldshine. And she came right over and we were able to get Arrow out of my car into her car. And then she could take Am Arrow from her car into the fat, out of her car into the vet. And then three months of horrible rehabilitation, abscesses, taking the Arrow. It was like, oh my God, it was horrible. But I think this one's my worst one because I lost her. This one, I, this was a trap. This was a, this was a trap. And I finally, I put it on Facebook today. I freaking weighed it. This thing is over, it's almost, it's a little over two pounds. This is, this, this is a trap that, look at this. This is the trap that caught her leg. And by the look of the, the one I just rescued, um, my friend Barb named her angel because it was like an angel, but it was like whatever, but. Um, this has got to be a hundred-year-old trap. It's old and rusty, but it's um, the damn. I, I don't know. It just. I don't know. <laughs> what do you? What can we talk about? <laughs> yeah. Where do we go from here? Yeah. I'm it, just so upset about all this. It's just. It's hard. It takes my heart away. Yeah. The pictures were were. Were difficult you know the, the they were the, weren't they the arm and it just felt so bad for it, it um yeah there was just a string there were there were her that was her hand and then just a string and then the rest of her arm and all the bones i get upset because um i love doing movies and all the fans and everything but i think now i'm 71 years old and i retired and now i'm on my third book but my forte is I do work for Soulshine and I am a rehabilitator and my I do skunk I'll do anything, anything that needs me. I've done a squirrel big time and I've done possums big time and I'm probably on my forty fifth raccoon. I've got three out there right now. I went out and sat with them a little earlier, Brian, and I just needed some loving because they're all like it's like yeah. hey, I need you today. Because I just went through this. So, what do you? I think what we should do with this. Okay. What What does the world need to know about the situation, and what needs to change? I think what needs to be changed is is, and I don't know if this is even going to work, but it's it's educating people. It's like reminding us where's your compassion, where's your sensitivity. I'm a very sensitive person. I can see something beautiful and I'll cry. Or I can hear a beautiful song and it'll put tears in my eyes. And there's people that go, yeah. it's like, what happened to our sensitivity? And then I look back at us, though, as a human race, we used to put 
We put Jesus on a cross. We stoned people. We burned people that had, like, they thought they were a witch. We've been a really brutal race. What happened to us? Or are the nice ones like you and me, are we the aliens? I don't know. I don't want to get weird here, but I, I just, my thought is education comes to my mind because education, like, okay, one of Jimmy's best friends hates raccoons. He fucking hates raccoons. And I already told him, I said, if we're out to lunch with you and your wife and Jimmy and I, and you start talking bad about them, I'm getting up and leaving. Don't talk about it if you want me to sit here with you because I can't do it. You have no idea where I'm coming from because they haven't met Indy Bear that you met in my book. Indy Bear started this all and it was just one raccoon. Now he's gone and my legacy is, look what I'm doing. I, I, I have this raccoon that just was bragging this for maybe a month long and it's like two pounds of a on half of her leg and she's dragging this heavy thing. Listen to this. That's how heavy it is. You hear that? Yeah. Uh, two pounds that. for that little raccoon is not, but you know, I'll tell you that, that one of the pictures you posted today, that, that creature knew in those last moments that somebody was loving. And, yeah. um, and I get that. Cause you, hand, you can see it. It, it, it was holding yep. your hand and you, it yep. knew. So One I, hand, I get that. And my friends are saying, Jeannie, just get over it. Look at the good stuff. And it's like, yes, on one hand, I get that she finally was able to relax enough to die and knew she was loved and safe. I get it. But on the other hand, I'm faced with human beings that still trap and yeah. hate stuff and think everything's rabid and 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 they're so mean to people. We, I mean, they're shooting people, getting gas at the gas stations, and you know, there's so much bad stuff going on. I just want all us good stuff. Zombies are fake. When people are afraid to watch Dawn of the Dead, it's like, I know it's scary. George did a great job, but it's fake. Because I told somebody the other day, uh, a guy said, I'm so scared to watch Dawn of the Dead, and they said, I get it. But I said, I'm writing to you right now. I was a blonde zombie. And I sent him that one picture with my face blown apart. And I said, but I'm still writing you right now, right? So I'm alive and I'm still writing you. So, you you know, think about that when you watch this, that I'm still your friend. I'm still alive. And I, I can write you and I can be your friend. And, you know, whenever you want to watch Dawn of Dead, just know it was all... Everything was editing. Everything was fake blood. Everything was just, you know, and, you know, that's all I can do is like, I'm your friend. Look at me when I died, but I'm still talking to you. So it was all fake. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, this is real. And, and I say, and I say what I said, because I just wanted to encourage you. You gave, you gave that creature a, a, a gift in a way, you know, it, it, it wasn't alone. And, and it knew in those blessed moments that there was somebody there caring for it and loving it, you know? So I just say that to encourage you, not to tell you to get over everything, just to encourage you. Cause I know I, I've, I've had, I've been able to, to, to see how deeply this has affected you, you know? Um, you know, so I just, I just say that to encourage you. Like, and it's really incredible what you're out there doing for these animals. Uh, it, it really is. I mean, the world, the world needs so many more people like, you. 
Jeannie, like to have such a, what, what makes people like yourself so special is you learned very early on in life, how important it's because it was uh, withheld from you and, and th- the absence of it showed you very early on. Do you think all of us are like that? Do you think all of us maybe or many of us that are into this have had a bad, I've never actually asked anybody. I mean, it's certainly possible. I mean, like I, you know, my, I mean, I, I, I had a rough childhood as myself and, um, you know, it, it, uh, it certainly has had an impact on me and my faith has had an impact on me. I, I just, I just, I don't know. I, you know how it is sometimes when you kind of sit and you see you're, you're kind of like the third person perspective for somebody like I could just, as I listen to your story and, and as I talk to you and I kind of feel like sometimes I could just see people's hearts, you know, and like with you, you have a heart that has a very deep capacity to love people. And, and I know part of that is because and not just people, but just everything in general. And I, and I, and I believe part of that's because you learn. I have a deep capacity to be hurt by people too. Yeah, that's very true. That's, that's the other side of it. Um, yeah. But be, but because you 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 learn very early on how important love is, and I think you determined in your mind at some point in your childhood, I'm not going to let other people feel this way, you know, no matter if they're people or animals, you know, and that, and that's such a beautiful thing. That's such a beautiful, thing. you know. So I say that to <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, you know. So I, I I really think it's incredible what you're doing, but I know. You're also so brave because, you know, like, like with just, you know, imagine being a veterinarian and you're helping people, you're helping animals, but you're also just equally losing animals. Like what you're, the work you do, it, it's so difficult because, because of these situations right here, you know, for all this, for all the, the, the wonderful, awesome stories, you, you have these that just, man, they just hit so hard, you know? Um, so like I, I you, you had started talking about like laws need to change. Like what, what like what 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 legislation should be put in place or like what what needs to change it for, from a, a legal standpoint to prevent these things like this from happening? Well, from the last couple of days, these friggin' law these these need to be. What's funny about this horrible hundred year old trap? At least sixty years. I think one thing. Remember Elvira? Mm-hmm. I did her a big favor. Um, that's the one thing Elvira was against was trapping. But we might be able to contact. I have to find all the the notices on how to do that. I I started to do that, but but um yeah no it's on a piece of paper somewhere. But just to let them know, it was done in the middle of the city. It was like a couple miles away from here. Mm-hmm. Wasn't one of my raccoons because trust me, if it was one of my raccoons that wandered that far, they'd have said, "I'll help." It wasn't. She didn't know me. She didn't know me at all. But um, they can. It was illegal to do it in the middle of the neighborhood. You know. So okay, go back to your question. Sorry. Um, one thing is getting rid of these things, not selling them anymore. Okay. I don't know what banning means, but not getting rid of all these so nobody can ever 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 buy them again for bears or any or raccoons or furriers that want to so that's one thing um the other law for me would be you can do horrid things to animals and yet we get light we get really 
in trouble for trying to help them because we're not legally permitted. I can't be permitted here. Where, that's why I work for Soulshine because Jimmy and I are in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. I've tried five times writing all the paperwork. You, I said, we have like five acres here. I would like to be able to be permitted to help something. And they, but I mean, you can, when you hear from people on Facebook, you see videos of horrendous things, they skin things alive, and they do all these, let's not talk about it, bad things. But yet you try to help something, you're in a lot of trouble. That doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't make sense to me that a burglar can come in and get hurt and sue me, get hurt in my house. That's stupid. That doesn't make sense to me. There's all these really weird things that are insanely lawful. I don't know. I just, I just want to change laws on, um, on. I don't want everybody to take a raccoon and have it be legal. Like this raccoon that I just adopt, you know, took over. She was crazy, wild, scared, which I thought, oh, good, she's got a lot of strength in her. At first, I thought, oh, maybe she's only had it on for a couple of weeks. She's okay. She's like, <sighs> and then for her, when she knew she was ready to die, to actually reach out her good hand and hold me and look up at, in my eyes, and I could put my hand on her, and she took her last breath. It's like, there is, it's a bright, brilliant animal that just gave me her trust. And, you know, after knowing Indy, and I've raised about 40, 48 of them at this point, rescued and released, reckon, I know what they're like. They're brilliant. So, but I, so I want it to be legal, but I don't, in a way, want it to be legal because no, not every Joe and Harry can be smart enough to have a raccoon. They're too, they're too smart. They're brilliant and they're, they're wild animals. You don't want a, a raccoon as a pet. But I want to be able to help them without getting in trouble. I just want to get traps. Let's just start with traps. Let's get rid of traps. That's that's cruel, especially if the person doesn't check their traps Mm -hmm. and something has to lay there in a trap. Now, raccoons are smart. Somehow she got it out of the ground and was able to carry it around with her and go because the first lady that called and I talked to when we went over there the first time said they had a little pond and she said no we saw it first in the pond carrying this thing and her leg is dangling there's hardly anything there I don't know so you know um she this this raccoon was able to find some water but that was like you know last Wednesday and and it was it I can't I just I'm beyond myself knowing the pain and the torture and the horror that this raccoon went through because of some guy or girl that decided to set up a trap and never check it. Yeah. I mean what was what was the deal? Your your furrier? Well if you're not a very good one because if you're just a fur bearer <laughs> her fur was not very good if you left it for all these days because she was skinny as could be when I got her. She was extremely dehydrated. Her bones were sticking out. She hardly had a leg left. My heart just goes out for this. This is like, I I just have a hard time with how people are just, how can people be so insensitive? 
Maybe you and I love animals. So it's great. No, I, I totally understand. I, and I, I wanted to give you a chance to to just talk about this and, and you know, get well, that message out there. I feel like I'm the voice for the voiceless, but I get so emotional. I'm not a very good voice because I'll just sit and cry. So maybe I'm not the good voice for the voiceless, but I want to help. I want to yeah. help any way I can. So if anybody that's listening to this can help me help. Um, I'm, I'm on board, man. And anybody that's a fan of George Romero, I can tell you he was one of the neatest guys. He was so kind and sensitive. And he was, what a genius. And and he he got me involved with where I am with you right now. I mean, we wouldn't be talking. We wouldn't be talking about animals. We're, we're basically on here because of Dawn of the Dead and everything that George did. Yeah, all those wheels set in motion, and the, and those wheels are still turning today. With you know, the, I mean, the movies and the, the Walking Dead. What I find interesting, what George did was very getting into independent filmmaking myself. One of the things I've noticed is how tribal it is, and that you you see these uh, small groups of people out there making. I hate to use the word content, but they're they're making content. Okay, they're, make, they're making content. They're making films. Uh-huh. Okay. And um, they're basically starting these small production companies and they'll have actors, they'll have a producer, they'll have their director and they just start making stuff. And I kind of, in a way, it's, George is such a good example of that. And, and, and the legacy just still, he says, like when you look at The Walking Dead, that all goes back to George. You know, it, go, it goes from it Greg does. to it Thompson. It does, doesn't it? George. Yeah, I mean, like it's, it's like a family almost. It's, it's um, but no, I mean, it actually really is a family. You know, it, it started with George and John Russo and um, all, all, all that team. And then Tom Savini got involved. Then Tom trained Greg and then Greg started KMBFX. And then, you know, Greg and, you know, now KMBFX is out there. Russo. Stuff. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'm not- that first scene. I'm in that first scene. That's it, it for me because the guy let me live. Did you see it? I haven't seen that. You'll have to check that out. Well, just check the beginning because I'm only okay. at the beginning. Um, um, yeah, midnight too. Sex, death, and videotape. Remind me when we're done recording. I'll run it. I've got I've got something cool that John made that you might you might have seen, might not have seen, but I'll show it to you before we we jump off. Um, but it's it's so fascinating that the the legacy that that that's carried through. Um, and, and you know, speaking of legacies, something else I wanted to ask you. Something that that you can tell is really important to you is, is being a mom. You know, and and you have a son. And what is what is that? I, 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 I was pregnant it, with Aaron when we did Night Riders. Say that one more time. I, I was pregnant with Aaron when we did Night Riders. Oh, were you really? Brother Blue, remember Brother Blue? Uh huh. Yep. He did a. Aaron. He did this this cool little song when he knew I was pregnant. I said, "Well, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but if it's a boy, I'll name him Aaron because Aaron Brown. My name is Brown at the time." And Brother Blue did this cool song for Aaron. Yep, Tom. Yep, I'm a mom. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You know. No, 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 no. It's only okay. What, what, what is, what is it like? I, I love to hear. I love to hear people's answers to this question. What is it like being a parent? What is it like when your your child first enters the world? Like, what's that perspective change like? Like, can you kind of just describe what that journey's been like for you and what that feels like and what it's been like to watch this this little person grow up into a man and be their own person and go off and live their own life. What's that all been like? I was a single parent pretty much. 
Aaron's dad was um, horrible alcoholic and really mean and killed some of the animals and it was a horrible relationship only when he drank but he drank a lot it was it was really bad but being a mom there and and still Aaron just lives right around the corner from where we are here um we are so tight and so close although he gets mad at me a lot he doesn't have much patience with me I don't know what that's all about we gotta talk but <laughs> being a mom it it was um I don't know it's, it's like second nature to me it was like comfortable and I I feel very strong being a mom I get hurt that he gets mad at me and I don't understand why sorry when he sees this but but we 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 you know he'll call me up and the cool thing about what he's doing right now he's buying these um um pallets of stuff and then um, I'll go with him sometimes and we buy these pallets and then we come home and open them up and then he resells them and, you know, figures out how to market them and stuff. It's, 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 we still have a relationship going on. I loved, I love being pregnant. I love getting a big belly. I love giving birth, but I was all by myself. My husband wasn't there at all. And then after I gave birth to Aaron, um his name was Jim too Jim came and he forgot that I even gave birth because he went home and told a friend oh she didn't give me birth yet and I was like I just came to see the baby anyway it was a it, I just was married to the wrong person big time but um I love being a mom and as I guess I'm a mom to my two dogs and my three cats and sometimes my husband because he had a stroke last year he died and then he for three minutes so sometimes I feel like his mom because his brain's just connecting again <laughs> although he's doing really really good but I don't know it, just being a mom is like I guess because interesting question I guess maybe because of my mom and dad not liking me and I grew up in the woods I kind of was a loner and I had to be strong all by myself. So I was probably a mom to a million billion things. And it's comfortable for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's how I survive is being able to be important. How about that? I am important to be able to help and take care of and know I'm responsible. How about that? That's interesting. I've never said that in my life. But I guess having the importance of being responsible is important to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it also it also opens up that that ability to just i play this back i'm gonna go what the hell are you talking about girl <laughs> nah, i think fun. you need a cocktail Jamie. you probably need a cocktail five o'clock i don't know <laughs> but you know it, it really but i think i think one of the reasons too it, it it was so natural for you is just that that deep capacity for love that you have and, and that deep capacity for love that you have and, and here here is someone that like this is your this is your son you know, and you just love them unconditionally, no matter what. Oh, you'd you know? love Aaron. You would love him. He's he is so cool. I'm so proud of him. I was like, I don't know where he got in his his intelligence. He he used to do 3D printing. He made hands and arms and fingers all by himself, and not got any money for you know people that didn't have any. He did. He got into this 3D printing, and owning his own shop didn't work out because couldn't pay the rent nobody ever paid him for that because he couldn't charge because he wasn't a doctor so he just did this so it just 
didn't work out, but I mean, it's like I look into Aaron and it's like, I'm in awe of Warren Man. How did you get this intelligence? But he's got that compassion. And he puts up with me with the animals. And like in the beginning of that book, I said, Mom, you can't have the raccoon. Blah, blah. And at the end of that um, beginning of my book, he said, Okay, Mom, you're right. And he was really cool. That's our relationship. Do you do you see some of yourself in him? Like like when you look at him, does he have some of your personality traits and mannerisms? Do you see some of yourself in him? Emotional stuff, yeah. Yeah, I see him being very sensitive, and I'm ridiculously sensitive. I don't, I have never met a, a more sensitive person. I drive my friends here in Michigan crazy. They go, Jeannie, get over it. And it's like, and Jimmy too. He'll go, just let it go. Like the raccoon thing. Okay, let it go. Think of the good stuff that happened. You know, she held your hand, she looked in your eyes, and you could pet her when she died. I can't do that because I knew the rest of it. Yeah. It's not, you can't, can't it's not something you can just turn off. I'm yeah. a sensitive. I can see we had a hurricane, uh, not a hurricane, a tornado hit a couple of years ago. <clears throat> I think it was right before the pandemic hit. And we lost over 100 trees. I bawled my eyes out, Brian. These were my trees. And I, when I went out there, I felt like I could hear crying with the trees. And it's like, I must be friggin' insane to be able to say I hear crying, but I, I swear I felt the sorrow of all those. Let's just say, easy to say, I felt the sorrow of all those trees. And I did. Nobody can take that away from me because I walked out there and we had a hundred trees that were just broken in half, rooted up, knocked down. And I walked out there and I was like, I did. It wasn't just my sorrow. I swear to you, I felt stuff. And maybe there's some people that can feel stuff like that and some people that can't. And if you can't feel it, you're going to think she's a friggin' idiot. God. But there are people that do feel things. There are people that see ghosts. There are people that feel and, and, you know, whatever. And I apparently, um, I'm one of a little bit of some things because I'm very highly sensitive. I'll tell you, I, what that raccoon that I didn't even know did to me has destroyed me for a couple of days. I'll get over it and I will reel I know the good stuff. But what I felt with her, when she looked at me in the eyes and she held out her good hand and touched me. And then I could put my hand on her and I and she didn't bite or anything. And I could there's something really, really special there. For what it for what it's worth, Jeannie, I um I I understand hundred percent how you feel. I, I'm the same way. Like I there was a there was a dog on uh Instagram. Uh the owner named it Freddie Mercury. And I, I don't know if if it's still alive or not, but this dog had really bad deformations, like it had a lot of birth defects, like its arms were drawn up into its torso because the shoulders didn't form right. Like the, the ligaments are too tight and they can't release them, you know, and, and its bottom jaw wasn't completely formed. Um, it was completely what? It wasn't completely formed. So like, like the top snout was, was the right length, but the bottom oh, wasn't. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, um, okay. 
so this, this dog had a lot of problems and most people would have probably put it down or let it die. And I, I, I sent this woman two messages just thanking her for the heart she has for taking this dog in and taking care of it, giving it a life. But I cried about it. Like I felt so bad that dog will never get to know what it's like to have a complete body. You know, you have, you have a capacity to put your shoe in the other foot. You know, yeah. to feel what that felt like. And that's what a lot of people can't do. Yeah. I put myself into that raccoon that I just helped die. You know, Saul die. I didn't help die. Saul die. Yeah. So we have the capacity to to feel a heart. And um, yeah, it, I mean, I, I, I would have adopted that dog. I don't care what it looks like. Help it eat. You know, the jaw isn't right. Yeah. But I, I cry. I cried about it. I did. It made me cry, and I, I so I understand uh, totally where you're coming from. Um, so it's you know, and there's really no right or wrong way to grieve, you know, and and you just you take the time that you need to grieve, and and that's okay. And and if people have a problem with it, then they can just have a problem with it. But you you have to do what's right for you, and you have to process your emotions and. You're a person who feels things very deeply. Like I, again, I, I'm the same. Like I, the more I talk to you, I understand now why you and I get along so well because you and I are very similar in, in some ways. You know, I we both feel emotions very deeply. We both feel things very deeply. We're you know incredibly sensitive. Like I, 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 everything you're saying to me completely resonates with me. I totally get it. I think we need permission to be you. I need permission to just be me and not try to please somebody that's like, oh, Jeannie, stop it. Or get over it. I mean, we need permission because we're special and we are who we are to just be us. I think the pictures I put on with this this raccoon with her bones sticking out. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep these and I'm gonna go public with them and, and go to the law with them because it's like this is what happens. This isn't fair. And then she's gotta drag this around for weeks on end. This isn't fair. Are you a fur bearer? Well, you didn't freaking check your fur bearer trap because at this point it's got maggots and it's sweaty and it's dirty and it's, you're not going to strip her down and make a thing out of her fur. So why'd you do it? Yeah. And what's wrong with you that you did it in the first place? Where's your heart? Why, why are you putting something like that out there to hurt something so horribly? What's wrong? From an educational standpoint, are are there more humane ways? Like if like let's say that a raccoon needs to be captured, take taken to a shelter or something. There there are more humane ways to to do it than just putting out a trap like that, right? Like there there are alternatives out there. They're, well, yeah, if you really wanna if you really wanna raise fur, I guess you breed them. And you feed them so their fur is beautiful, and then shoot them in the head so they don't feel it or something. Well, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not saying like for for fur. I I, I don't support that, but I just mean well, like let, let's say let's say for example, there's a raccoon just in the city, and like the city wants to to capture it, you know, and and there there are better ways to do it than just putting a trap out, right? Like, I mean, don't they have like humane traps you can use? Well, life just... trap, yeah, life trap. But then the problem is right now is. All of us rehabbers are filled up. I mean, there's been so many the last year and this year. I don't know what it is with the environment, or we're all filled up, so people aren't taking any. So I, it's really a hard thing. Yeah, 
to be able to protect one. Like we have three right now. And at my age, they're a lot of work and it's a lot of money because it's like $200 a raccoon for all their inoculations, their dewormer. And then you got to feed them and change their litter every day. It's, it's expensive. And I only have three. I get, I get to keep them till October, but they're getting ready. I'll probably release them before then, but I love them to death. I went out and sat out there today because I needed the love. <laughs> yeah. Because they're all over me. They're sweet as can be. And, but I, all the, uh, the legal rehabbers are so filled up right now. They can't take any more so I don't, I don't know what to say right now. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's, it's a tough situation. It sounds like what are, what are some kind of myths versus facts about raccoons that people should know? Like what are some misconceptions about them? Oh, if you see one in the daytime, it has to be rabid. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. If you see a raccoon in the daytime, Probably 100% it's a girl, it's a female, and she's nursing, and she's got her babies, and finally she could leave them and go forage for some water or some food. If you see a raccoon in the daytime, almost 100% it's a mom, mm -hmm. and she was with her babies all night long, and then now she's a chance to sneak out and try to find an acorn or a little bit of water to drink to keep her breast milk on, feed her babies. I think the big one of the bigger thing, and if you go back, it's back in the forties that a raccoon ever had rabies. They, it's not, they don't. And same with possums; they can't even get rabies. Possums are wonderful. They they're a marsupial, I think you call it. Um, they eat your ticks and your bugs and your spiders and snakes. I I feel bad about that. I like snakes, but um. They can't even get rabies. And um, there's so many myths because I remember a long time ago, a little girl came up to me and she said, oh, snakes are so slimy. And I was slimy? A snake slimy? No, 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 no. You're thinking of a worm. No, a snake. My mom told me. And I was like, well, snakes aren't slimy. So the mother told this little girl something that this little girl years later always believed snakes are slimy. Well, the last thing a snake is is slimy. Yeah. They're dry. They're scaly. They're they're not. So I think a lot of it is education, Brian. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to do it. I hope we can help because I, I I'm dreadfully upset about what I just went through and what this yeah. poor raccoon just went through. And I see Jimmy's friends going, "Hey, raccoons!" And I I don't want to. I I know raccoons can be horrible. You don't want one in your roof or your chimney or blah blah. I get it, but we take their land. And if you give them a chance to just stay for a little bit, they'll be gone. They're not going to stay there forever. You know, just bear with it and be human about it. I don't know. I just, I don't know. <laughs> what do you, what, what do you like most about raccoons? What's your favorite thing about them? Man, when they, they make friends with you and they look you in the eye, brand and they hold your mouth, their, your cheeks, and they kiss you. And they hug you. You've never been loved so tenderly and deeply. There's something about a raccoon, and I've met it with many of them, even this one that didn't even know me. There's something, man, I haven't felt that with human beings very many times. <laughs> it might sound weird, but they are 
so inquisitive. They are so intelligent. They are so loving. If they, if you get to know them, um, they're. I wish I could go back and just bring up one of mine that's out in the back. Forty out there, and just bring one up and say, "Here's Brian," and then run him back and read it like. Indy spoiled me because I just absolutely fell in love with him, and um, and now I've rescued and released, and I have three to release now, and I'm gonna feel it's very bittersweet. I mean, I love letting them go to be a real raccoon, but it breaks my heart to say bye. Yeah, they'll come and visit and come and visit and come and visit, but then at one point they go on their way and I won't see them anymore. They just you know go back in their back forty and you know. They are incredibly funny. They are incredibly intelligent. They are incredibly loving. And the touches and the hugs and the kisses I've had for, with raccoons. I have to show you a, um, a video of our one dog, Teddy, with a raccoon a couple of years ago, Baby. And Baby did come back with her babies. Um, it was so neat. She came back with her babies, but on the bed. Um, Baby came in one time. Well, no, no, this is before we released her, but Baby was on the bed with Teddy. The love and the fun, and they were playing together. It's just, and uh, raccoons are smart. They're very, very intelligent. So I find them stimulating. Mm -hmm. The main thing, Brian, that I've learned off of all of them, everyone that I've raised, they have a capacity to love. And like the one I just saw die and helped die, touched her when she died she looked at me like you're looking at me she looked at me in my eyes I love her it's okay he was so near dying but her eyes were so bright yeah. And you can see her uh, her brain working that, okay, I trust you. Thank you. I saw her eyes and you could just see into the depth of her. I mean, didn't take a moron to even see it. You know, I saw it. <laughs> well, not a moron. <laughs> but um, this, you know, this is a raccoon that I didn't even know that didn't know me. And she... She looked into my eyes and it was like we had a connection. Yeah. So maybe that's it. There's they can give you a connection that some animals can, some can't. Some cats maybe never even give you a connection. I don't know, bunnies or birds or whatever, but this this one gave me a connection. It was like, I see you. I'm not afraid of you anymore. Thank you. I trust you. Maybe it was all that I see you. Maybe that's all that it was that she gave me is I see you. And I, I told her, I said, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But I told her she was going to the vet in the morning, you know, but that morning, which we didn't do, didn't get to do, but I said, I, you're okay. You're okay. It's okay. You're okay. You're okay. And she looked at me and looked at me. And that's when she raised her hand, her good hand. <laughs> her other hand was all gone. And I put my hand under her hand. 
And then she laid back down. And I'm holding her hand. She lay back down. She started gasping for breath. And that's when I put my other hand on her. And that's how we went. And it was gone in a couple minutes. What was that? This is a wild animal that didn't know me from a hole in the wall. That recognized, I see you. And I'm okay. And was able to relax enough to die. She didn't have to go alone, and and it sounds like she recognized that there was somebody there that cared. Yeah, that's 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 a gift. I bet. I bet in the wild for days beyond she could have died, but it was probably scary to die, and maybe she held on. But here she was able to say, "Okay, I can do this. I'm tired. I gotta go. I'm in so much pain." And it became so easy. I mean, it was gone in just a couple minutes. The other thing I like about Facebook, going back, I'm just looking at this because um, Peter Johnson, I found this, you know, he's a, a neat artist. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing I love about Facebook. I love things about animals. And it's like, you know, I, I find people like you and, and um, like Peter Johnson's an artist and all these wonderful people on Facebook. I, I do see an upside on Facebook that I can connect because if I if I wasn't on Facebook I couldn't have found this direction to help her. It was through Facebook that I was able to get contacted. And it's because of Facebook I was able to meet you. Yeah. So there's and because of George Romero, I wouldn't be on Facebook. <laughs> I think it was Joe Shelby, like I said, that said, Where the hell are you? I thought you were fucking dead. I think quote unquote that's what he said. No, I'm alive. I just didn't know Facebook. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine a world without social media? I I, I can't. Mm-mm. I was in. I was in. I think I was in high school. I was at least in middle school when MySpace hit, and I can't. I lived in a world that wasn't that connected, but the majority of my life, the world has been that connected. So I can't imagine not having that level of connection. You know, and I really think it just, I, I think it, like we were saying earlier, I think it just boils down to how you use it. You know, I, 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 I think, I think Facebook is a great place to network with people. It's a great place to meet people I do. And, and meet new friends and stay. I, I, I I'm, I'm coming up on my, so in a couple of years, I'm going to have my 20 year high school. Reunion. And, my, I, and in a couple of years, we're going to have my, my 20, 20 year high school. Reunion. Okay. And. I, I miss, so I went to a really small school. And uh, so a lot of these people I have known since fifth grade. We, we've known each other that long. We, we started in fifth grade and graduated together. And so, we, you know, so close to 30 years almost. And I, I, this, this past year, so I miss those people so much. Like I cannot wait to get to see all these kids that I went to school with and just give them all a big hug and see how they're doing. And, but it's cool though, that like, I, because of Facebook, you know, we're all still connected. I can still glance at their lives and see what they're doing. And we actually, um, there's an app out there called group me. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it's like a chat. It's called group me. And it's like a chat app. Um, but we, we have a, we have a group me from my high school class as well. And so we, you know, we kind of chat with each other, but I I just, I can't, I can't wait to to see these people. It's been, it's been, you know, one, there's this one guy that popped in a guy named Jerry. I literally have not talked to him in 18 years. 
Wow. And, and I, I, I was like, I was like, holy smokes, Jerry, dude, how are you? You know, like, he was like, hey, man, it's going. And, he, and I was like, I was like, you realize we haven't talked since high school. Yeah. Because he's not, he wasn't on Facebook, I don't think. So I, I literally haven't talked to that guy since we graduated from high school. And it, it, and it just was so cool to get to connect with him, you know. Is he married now or? Yeah, uh, I'm sure he is. I didn't ask him, but but I'm I'm sure he is. He's probably married, and has kids, and like most of them, it's and it's weird to see us all getting older. You know, like my beard is starting to get a lot of gray in it, and you know, <laughs> so some some people have more gray in their beards than mine. I've lost all my hair, you know. So it's 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 funny to see us. You know, we're all kind of in that. You know, we're in our late 30s now, so it's like, how are we almost 40? You know, and, and now like all, all of their kids, I don't have kids myself, but you know, it, it's, it's funny to see some of them. The, quiet. This beer. Hey, stop it. It's, it's funny to see the, the yeah, comments. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really funny to see the comments. Some of their kids will make about them being old, you know, and it's just like, you know, we're all, we're, we're still in our thirties. We're not old, but you know, to the, to the kids, they think we're ancient, you know? It's it's really funny to kind of see that that whole full circle because I remember doing the same thing to my mom when I was in school, you know. So it's just really funny to see it come in full circle, you know. And and now yeah. I'm suddenly where my mom was when I was in high school, you know. And it's just it's it's just really neat. It's, Are you it's close really with neat. your mom? I, oh my gosh, I love my mom so much. Yeah, we, you know, you, when you were talking about your first husband in your book, um, that that really resonated with uh, my mom and I went through a similar experience with my father and um, my dad passed when I was five years old, but uh, that part of the book, I was, in fact, it, it, I, my mom called me today and I told her about, that. Um, I was mentioning that part of the book to her. Um, she goes, yeah, that sounds really familiar. I said, yeah. You know, she said, I don't resonate with you. I said, yes, it does. Um, but yeah, I love my mom. I, I, that woman hung the moon to me and there are times I've, tear up when I think about all the sacrifices she made for me. Um, like one thing in particular that sticks out to me, I'm sure I was thinking about it. My mom one time, you know, there there was there were times where we didn't have a lot of money. And my mom bought me some these these high top sneakers from Kmart. And I loved those shoes. I thought they were awesome. And my mom literally apologized to me for buying me shoes from Kmart. And I and and all these years later, she had completely forgotten about this, but I did. And all these years later, I I told her, I literally made a point to text my mom and say, Mom, by the way, you did this. I just I just want you to know I love those shoes. Like, you know, but that's that's how much my mom loved me. She felt bad that at that moment she bought me shoes from Kmart instead of like from some, you know. Yeah, I get it. I get you. Yeah. So like I I I one of the things I cherish the most about getting as I as I grow older is getting to sort of see my mom's perspective on things. And I think one of the, one of the, the toughest lessons we learned, but also I think one of the, the more, um, I don't know. I don't know how to say it, but there comes a point as you get older, at least for me, I realized like my mom is a person. She's a human right. being. She, my, my mom's a person. She's a human being, you know, like you spend your entire childhood thinking, your parents are superheroes and they're perfect and they do no wrong. And then, and then you get older and you realize like, well, they're Pete, they're, she's a, my mom's a person just like me. And she has life experiences and pain and, you know, things that have, that have, that have affected her life. And so when, when I finally just had that realization that my mom's a person just like me, I don't know, it really, it just, it just changed how I see her. And it gave me a greater and deeper appreciation for what she's done for me. I get what you're saying. 
in my life. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I'm very close to my mom. I, I call her all the time. I love my mom. She's, she's awesome. <laughs> I love my mom. She's uh she's, um, she's just, it, it, it's, and, and like, you know, she's, she's watching what I'm doing with the, the, the filmmaking and stuff. And, you know, there's been a couple of times recently she put on Facebook that she's proud of me. Yeah. Oh, I'm that, very proud of Aaron. I just noticed he gets a little short with me sometimes, so I'm not sure why. We talk about that. Sometimes he's, but he's, man, I'll tell you, he's supportive. You're not going to mess with me. Aaron would be right yeah. there. And he keeps in touch with everything. He's he's very protective of me. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. He's like, um, well, he's really close with Jimmy. So if I say any, excuse me, anything wrong about Jimmy, He's right on me, you know. Like he loves Jimmy to death. You know, Jimmy's a stepdad, so that's cool. I like it. But like, okay, he's up, man. <laughs> I'll make up with Jimmy. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I, I understand. That. I, I've I've always been really protective of my mom as well. Um, you know, and I think I think that has to do with, I think I think psychologically, you know, when 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 kids have you know father figures like like i did or like aaron did you know like i, I think it's kind of a normal response to for, for the, the the son to become kind of protective i, I don't know i, I don't really know oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, th I think i think that's that's normal that's a normal dynamic that happens um but i i i uh my mom has been amazing and has sacrificed so much for me and you know i, I just want to make her proud and and gosh it, it melts my heart to, to, to whenever every time she tells me she's proud of me, I mean, like, I don't know if there's anything greater in this world than to hear your parent tell you they're proud of you, you know, because that's all you want, right? Like, you know, like my, my grandfather, I'm so fortunate to have two of my grandparents. Is that your mom's dad? Uh, yeah, mom? my, my mom, my mom's dad and my mom's mom. Uh, they're both still around. And um, wow. I'm very, I'm very close to them. And my grandfather, I, I love that man. I have so much respect for him. Uh, he, he's an old school guy. He, is the hardest worker I've ever seen in my life. This man worked two jobs the majority of his life to take care of his family. He never complained about it. They weren't glamorous jobs, but he took care of his family. And I, I and I, I'm so in awe of that. And, and I have so much respect for that. And like, the one thing I ever want to hear from that man is that I'm a hard worker. Like, like to me, if my grandfather tells you you're a hard worker, that sums up like everything, you know, I'm proud of you. I love you. Like, you know, that, that one statement will, will, will sum up everything because that's, because that's that's who my grandfather is. He he values hard work. He's he's always been a hard worker. He's always done what he needed to do, provide for his family. You know, so I I tell people if I could be half the man my grandfather is, I've I've lived a good life. You know, that's 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 the kind of man he is. You know, that and I I I couldn't walk in like I couldn't measure up to him. There's just no way. They just don't come like my grandfather. You know, that's that's my opinion at least. But I try. I'll try to be that good of a man, you know? I think uh, a lot of people that watch this are going to relate to a lot of things you're saying. Because I think, I don't know, um, chances are the people that watch this podcast are probably your age, not mine, but it's probably the younger group. And they're probably going to go, yeah, huh. you're probably teaching people a lot too. I hope. That's, that's honestly, Jeannie, you know what's great? Like, I know we haven't talked a ton about movies and stuff, but I really want this more for the podcast than anything because there are so many people out there that hurt and that don't feel loved, that, that hurt, that, that are hurting. Hurt, and they, hurt. Oh, yeah. 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 oh yeah, and they, and they feel alone and they don't feel loved. And I, I, 
kind of one of my deeper hopes. I don't explicitly say this, but I, I want people. You, you see some of the things I'll post on Facebook sometimes. Like I'll, I'll just, I'll mention, you know, Hey, I, I'll tell people like you're loved and you matter. Here's a hug for you because I have a heart for that. I know how that feels. There's been times in my life where I've been there, where I felt like I didn't matter, where I felt like nobody loved me and the world would be a better place without me. And that's the biggest lie somebody can believe because every, every person out there matters and every person out there brings something special and unique to this world. And not everybody knows that, you know, you can't start crying because you're going to make me cry. (laughs) And so that's, that's what I want. I, I want people to know that they matter and that they, they're here for a reason and nobody's a waste. Nobody's a waste. You bring something special to this world and the world is a better place because you're here. Everybody needs to know that. So many people don't. So I hope I learned in therapy years ago, the value of knowing that you're loved. And so, you know, when you listen to the outro in my podcast, I'm very particular about what I say. And one of the things I say to people is you're loved because so many people don't feel it. And um, I just want people to know that. You know? Well, we have a lot of hours in the day, so they might feel it one minute and then the next hour. And because I, I, you know, I felt really down last night because things have happened. And it's like, even though I know on one hand I matter a lot, and then, you know, a couple hours later I'm crying and going, I just should just go jump off a bridge. <laughs> you better not do that. I'm going to be very upset if you do that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. with all my animals, my husband, my son, you know, I get it. But there's moments you're just like, I don't feel like I matter. Yeah. You know, because, you know, things get dumped on you. And it's, it's, it's hard to be a human being. But that's because we're good human beings and we're sensitive. I love talking to people that, 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 are, that are your age, that have gotten to live as much life as you have. Because... You have so much to offer to people my age and, and younger because you've lived life. You've you've gotten to and and, and look at and like and what's fascinating is when when somebody like yourself who's a higher profile individual, your your life's a little more known. Look at what you have overcome in your life. Look at where you started and look at where you're at today and all the obstacles you've overcome that like, you were never content to just say, eh, you know, I'm not like no, you just went out there and did it. You, I mean, like. The, the, the elephant story. But tomorrow for me is still another day and it might be some brand new thing. And I'm like, get up the wall, you know, the creek. Yeah, well, just, but you know what? You're going to overcome it just like you did everything else. I mean, like, I just, I just. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write you and say, okay, I'm really having a bad day. What do I do? <laughs> it's like, because I know you're not, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just really so I cool. I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. I'm 71. And um, I had a hard childhood like you did. And I had a horrible, horrendous marriage. And then being an animal rehabber, you know, man, there's a lot of expense and ups and downs. Like yesterday was just horrible for me. Well, yesterday and the night before. Like, I'll never get over this. I'll I'll never forget it because I'll get over it. On a, not crying every single hour, but I, I will get stronger over it, and I'll see the good over the bad. But like you said, that um, I'm still me. I'm still a human being, and I still I'm learning every day, man. 
<laughs> and that's and that I learned there's a comedian named Paul Loudon, and uh, he changed my view on podcasting when I interviewed him because one of the things he said to me is he really enjoys how raw and real podcasting is. That you know people have to go to the bathroom in the middle of it. You know you just see you see <laughs> yeah. humanity in it, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's true. and this episode is going to be really important. Uh, in fact, you and another person named Mandy Terry, uh, she's a, she's a dear friend of mine and she's, um, she's an actress and makeup artist. And, um, you both have been so vulnerable and real about who you are and how you feel about things. And, and just, um, and I know there are gonna be a lot of people out there that really appreciate y'all's vulnerability and, and willingness to just be human and let people see, well, to share it with others, that's the big thing. You know, I can sit here and cry and talk to you about a raccoon, but it's really hard to know that a thousand million people are going to see me crying and say, hear me saying, oh, and talk about a crisis or, you know, it's hard to be vulnerable and share it. But it with you and me, it's okay, but to know it's going off all over. It's like, it's, it's neat. It's cool. <laughs> but we're sharing it with all these people. That's interesting part about all of it. Yeah, it's kind of, it's it's kind of scary, but but this this is going to bless some people, and there are going to be some people out there that that are going to really be touched by by you and what you do and and what we talked about and and there there's no telling. I mean, there's just no telling what what something like this can do. I mean, this and this this is what see this is what life is about. I, I I've learned that life is about you know there, there's there's that, that's it. It's it's about we are put here to love people, and that's hey, it. Jimmy, come here, hear what he just said. He just walked in. I wanted him to hear what you just said. Come here. Brian just said, "I think this is about love." But I was just saying, you know, life. I I've learned that that life is ultimately about loving people, and that's it. That that's that's ultimately what we're here to do. I mean, like if you even look at like, you know, biblically, like you know, if you look at the Ten Commandments, it. That I don't want to misquote how Jesus, but Jesus said, somebody asked me, he said, what, what is the greatest command? He said, to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, this fulfills the law and the prophets. And what I realized is that if you truly love someone, you won't ever do them harm. You know, like if you look at every, you know, all the Ten Commandments or laws, or just, you know, whatever, even outside the Bible, like, you know, we're, we're here to love people. That's, that's ultimately what it's about. Like, that's what life is. Like, we, it's, it's because we all have that, that deep need for love all of us, but, but I, I love, and I think, I think like, like what we've had in this past, you know, hour and a half, two hours now is, is really what, what life's about. It's just connecting with people and building relationships and just, and being able to share love with people. People and animals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, I shared about what happened to her. Yeah. All God's creatures. And, and, and I, I'm pretty confident there's going to be a, at least one person that needs to hear what we've talked about today. And it may be the hope that they've been missing in their life, you know? Um, and that's, and that's why, like I said, I know, I know that we haven't talked about movies and stuff a whole lot, but honestly, I would rather what we've had be this. This is what I want from this podcast because you're, you are more the Dawn of the Dead. You are more than George Miro. You're Jeannie Jeffries. And I want people to see who is Jeannie Jeffries, you know, and we've gotten to see that a little bit today. So I, I think that's fantastic. And I really thank you so much for your vulnerability and your willingness just to be real. Thank you. You know, you're an amazing human being. You really are. And I feel privileged to call you a friend. I feel very lucky that I can call you a friend. 
you know, it's, 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 it's a real blessing. Me to you. Yeah. This has been good. This yeah. is me to you. Me so, to you. Seriously. Me to you. Yeah. I'm serious. Me I appreciate that. You. Well, Brian, I'm going to let you guys finish up because my needs will give out before, <laughs> before too much longer. I'm getting pretty creaky. So and folks, by the way, this is, this is Jimmy. He's the it guy. You, uh, he helped get us all connected today. So everybody give a, a round of applause for Jimmy. Cause he's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Anything I can do to help. We appreciate you, man. But Jim, I'm going to, I'm going I'm to wrap it up, but thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'll, um, when we get done record, I'll go grab, I, I got something cool. I want to show you, but thank you so much for being on. Today. Michael, show me. Um, I, I've got, I've got something neat that John Russo wrote that I'm, I'm, I'm going to grab. You may not have seen it before. Um, oh, okay. okay. Once record, I go grab it. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, I, I think there's going to be at least one person that this show is going to give hope to. That's all we need is one. Yeah. yeah you're so awesome. Thank you so much. Give me a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for joining me on today's podcast. I had an absolute blast making it, and I hope you had just as much fun listening to it. I want to take a moment to remind each and every one of you that you're awesome, that you matter, that you're loved, and I'm so glad that each and every one of you are here. I want to give special thanks to my producer and sound editor, Donovan Brown, and I want to once again say thank you to today's guest. That other interview show is a Dawn Journey production. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and please also take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. It really does help us out. And that's it, folks. Until next time, stay tuned. Stay curious, and as George Amiro used to always say, stay scared.